All right. Trinity Church, how are you doing today? Good. You sound great. I was just kind of in the wings there as we were finishing that last song. Thanks for engaging with us. Thank you for being here. And whether this has been a part of your weekend routine for decades, or if you're a guest with us and this is your first time at Trinity, we are really glad you're here today. Thank you for making this a part of your weekend. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. And yesterday, this place was nuts. Yeah, we had a great time, and uh, we had this great time of kicking off a brand new season of serving in our different various ministry teams, um, what we had called going into uh, this event was a volunteer rally. For those of us who are here, what are we actually using instead of that word volunteer moving forward? Teammates, that's right. We love that word and we love the concept that within your smaller team, those who work with children or those who work with those with disabilities, those who work with sewing ministries, Pat got up here and was doing Chubby Bunny yesterday. It was the best, right? So no matter where you fit in that smaller team and what was great about just the fact we're all wearing the same shirt, not exactly the same, they looked the same, but... As we're all wearing these shirts, it was a reminder that we're one big team. And, and this team, Trinity, is uh, kind of in, in motion, getting kind of, again, just getting our feet underneath us after what has been such a difficult season in so many ways. So we're so grateful that you were here. For those of you who were, I wanted to show you a picture. Our good friend Steve Carroll came out, got an aerial shot from his drone. Many of us just thought that was cool, but there we are. Pretty cool. That's not bad when you think about, we got that organized in about five minutes. I know we're a little mushy on the right-hand side on both sides. Don't get too worried about that. But that's about 250 people lined up in these Olympic rings. That was kind of our theme yesterday, this Olympic concept. And it was just a blast to kick off a brand new year this year. So you notice when you walked in, kind of balloons all over the place. We thought those looked so good. Just leave them up for today for this worship service. And we're just so excited to keep moving forward together. So we're grateful that you're here. We're continuing in a series in the Gospel of John up on this banner, Conspiracies, Adversaries, and Unbelief. And man, we have seen that. We're kind of taking a section from this gospel, chapters 5 through chapter 10, and we're getting in there. So if you have a Bible today, we're actually getting to chapter 10, finally in this sequence. You can make your way there. If you uh, didn't get notes on the way in, we have a paper copy in the back. If you want to use our app, I didn't bring my phone out. If you want to use our app, just hop on that, and then you go to resources, and then you'll see sermon notes. Find today's date. But we are going to continue in this series, and, and i got to tell you, this has been intense. I have, like many of you, I've read the Gospel of John before. I've never preached through it. And when you think of, right, the Gospel is one of four different accounts of the life and ministry of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And John, with a lot of distinction from the other Gospels, but one of those things that we've seen, where in the other Gospel accounts, we'll get these kind of glimpses of the ongoing, kind of almost boiling conflict between the Jewish religious leaders and Jesus, John is just laying this out, and especially in this block of John, 5 to 10, we're just seeing it week over week, and we have seen some incredible tension and conflict in chapter 8 last week, some levity of this amazing amazing miracle of Jesus healing a man born blind, never seen the light of day. But yet that 
was still fraught with a lot of conflict. So this is just boiling up and continuing to go move forward. John is showing and making the case that there was this opposition towards Jesus that had been going on for a long time before he ever went to the cross. And so today what we're going to see, though, we're going to kind of, even in the midst, we'll see right at the beginning, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, yet even in the midst of that kind of conflict of audience, Jesus is going to talk about something that is going to be so significant and comforting to you. Imagine yourself in this theme is all through the former covenant and the new, this idea of you being in the flock of God, you being one of his sheep. And so we're going to get there today, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to have such a good shepherd? What does it mean when he says, I am the gate, the door? And as we unpack that today, and I appreciate it, it was so great to get to hear from Corey, and I saw her yesterday, and the great stuff going on with our women's teams, and she got to do some training but when Corey talked about, you know, the need to be rooted in Christ, we talk about that at Trinity. That, that is our mission, to be rooted in Jesus as we're reaching our worlds. And today, today what this passage is about is really rallying around this idea of how good it is to be in the flock of God. How good it is and how, how significant and how appropriate it is to keep sinking our roots of trust our roots of faith, our roots of confidence in our shepherd. So that's where we're headed today. Take a look at our now what statement, what our kind of focus is going to be about and what we're looking at today. Depend upon Jesus to be your source of safety, supply, and superabundance. You know I love alliteration, so I couldn't help but go there because you're like, superabundance, I don't use that word every day. Interestingly enough, this text kind of does. So we'll get there in just a minute. We're in John chapter 1, verse 10. Here's our first point. Sheep know and follow their shepherd. Sheep know and follow their shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees. So what we're going to see in just a minute, this is just continuing in the conversation about spiritual blindness. We don't see any pause or any break. I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice." But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So let's, let's kind of process. Last week, we pick it up right where we left off. Last week, we had this powerful narrative about this man being healed. And, and, and in that whole concept, really what was kind of lifted in the conversation was this idea of, and, and we saw really where it climaxed was not necessarily that he could physically see with his eyes, but spiritually he became aware. Spiritually he could see that Messiah was right in front of him. And, and to me, my favorite part of the whole chapter, and he worshiped him. 
the man formerly blind just grabbed a hold. Well, we don't know exactly what he did, but that's in my mind. And he just moved just from this sense of awareness right into, and he worshiped him. But we said even that beautiful moment had to have <laughs> these Jewish religious leaders then, so what are you saying about us, Jesus? I mean, this had, it's just like there's no time just to relish in the moment of this amazing thing God has done. And they said, are you calling us blind? Jesus says, no. No, you can see just perfectly. That's why your guilt remains. Those are the last words of chapter 9, and, and there's no segue that says, and then on another day, Jesus was walking around town. So it seems as though this is just next. Jesus transitions to this thought about sheep. Now, as we read these first five verses of chapter 10, we learn a few things about first century shepherding. I'm going I'm to wonder about this for you, so I'm going to tell you that in advance. The text doesn't tell us this. I don't have a lot to go on except for I just know Jesus is the master teacher. It wouldn't be odd for me to consider that as Jesus is talking, and I think it's a mixed crowd, right? It's not just the Pharisees, but he's alerting them, like, pay attention, I'm talking to you. It would not be odd that Jesus kind of turns his gaze and there he sees a, sh a shepherd with his sheep. It's kind of out on part of the countryside, maybe even walking them through a, a side part of town. But it just seems like Jesus in this master teacher role takes advantage of things that are around him. And he begins to go on and talk about first century shepherding. Now for us, as we read that 2,000 years ago, in, in not what is an agrarian community so much. I mean, some of you live in Yukaipa, right? We can't help that. <laughs> but... I live in Yukaipa, so before you go, man, he's such a jerk. No, <laughs> me too, right? But, but we don't live in an agrarian society, so shepherding 101 isn't common to us. So in a, in a way, that's actually pretty helpful to understand. What did this sheep shepherd thing look like? We find out that they stay in the pen, and they're protected from those who would want to come after them, for those who would want to hurt them. We find out that the shepherd is the rightful person, the rightful leader, that, that actually does know them and they know him and they follow his lead. We find out that there's a gatekeeper who opens the gate for the shepherd and allows him to come in and allows the sheep to go out. And that the shepherd leads the flock from the front, comes around the front and leads them into spaces and pastures where they can eat and be nourished. So that's shepherding 101. Now here's the wild thing. Helpful for us, 2,000 years later, in the first century... People who lived in an agrarian society, people who had a cousin or a brother who was a shepherd, are like, we know. Like, that's how it works. That's how sheep and shepherd relate to each other. So, you know, that's kind of the whole point. So for us, we're learning some things, but for them, this is like totally basic. It, it'd be like this. It'd be like someone coming to you, and let's say that, um, you're kind of driving around town and, and they're in the car with you and they begin, you drive by a gas station and they begin to tell you how you pump gas. You know, if you, if you were going to pump gas right now, you would pull into that station and, and you would hop out and you would either go in and, and pay the, the agent there. None of us do that. We hate doing that now. We just do it at the pump. It's awesome. And um, you'd pay at the pump and then you would go to your gas tank. You'd open the fuel door. You'd twist off the cap. 
And, and then you'd go over here to the nozzle and you'd pick it up and you'd push what kind of grade that you want. For me, it's always the cheapest one, right? And then you, you take this nozzle and, and then you do this. I actually had to look up the term because I didn't want to say doohickey. It is a fuel filler neck. That is the technical term, a fuel filler neck. We would have said that, like that pipe thing, right? So the best, but it's called a fuel filler neck. And I had to go look up my iPad to make sure that was the right term. And you put the nozzle in there and then you'd squeeze the trigger and gas would come out and, and you would either fill it up to the amount you paid for in advance or you'd fill it till it was full, it would pop and you'd take it out, you'd put it back, you'd put the cap on, you'd shut the fuel door. And they're telling you all this and you're like, yeah, I do it all the time. Now, by the way, unless you lives in this, live in the state of Oregon or New Jersey, you're not allowed to pump your own gas there. They save that for the professionals. I lived in Oregon for five years. I questioned the term professional. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, so they would be telling you how to pump gas. And you just sit there and you go, I just don't know why we're going over this. I get it. I know all those things and I do all those things. But here's the master. It's interesting, by the way, this rendition of Shepherding 101 is not a parable. It's fascinating to note there are zero parables in the Gospel of John. Not one. They're all over the place. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Zero parables in the Gospel of John. He is using kind of like a, he's going to use a metaphor, a little bit different. But in it, here's what he's going to do. He's going to start with something they know and understand, something like shepherding. And he's going to connect it to a dot to something they need to respond to like putting their life, faith, salvation, or into his hands for salvation. He's taking something common and known, and he's connecting a dot to something they need to respond to. That's the master teacher in this passage, and that's the illustration. And by the way, we know this is surely not the first time someone in the Bible has talked about sheep and shepherd. We'll get to that today. But that's why he's using it right now. Here's an interesting question we have asked all throughout the Gospel of John, because Jesus has said some things, whether it be to the crowds or individuals or whatever, he said some things that people go, huh? Often, I don't have a category, I don't have a box for that, I don't even know what you're talking about. And what we've said repeatedly is, what do you do? What do you do when someone that you care about says something to you that you don't understand? Just think of every relationship, a spouse, I want to say something about husbands and wives, but I am going to refrain right now and not do that. Uh, a friend, a neighbor, coworker, they say something you don't understand. What do you do when you do that? When that happens, you pursue them. You want to understand. What do you mean by that? I, I, I don't tell me more. But if there's someone that you're not interested in having a relationship with, and they say something that you have no category, no box for. It gives you every opportunity to step away and go, no, thank you. That's what Jesus has done time over time. And it said very clearly, the Pharisees didn't know why he was talking about this. Number two in your notes today, Jesus provides safety and supply for his sheep. Jesus provides safety and supply for his sheep. We continue chapter 10, verse seven. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am. Right? We haven't missed these two words, ego and me. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am 
the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus has been talking about a shepherding concept they're very familiar with, and pretty much probably all of them didn't understand exactly why. Now he dials it in. I was using an illustration, using a metaphor, but I want to help you understand who I am in the metaphor. I'm the gate. I'm the gate. And we said that John is famous for these I am statements. Here's another one today. I am, ego me. I am the door. This, this way that allows sheep in and out. No one is safe unless they come through me. Jesus just took this incredible metaphor that for them was very normal, and now he moves it to something very personal. Because remember, there are people who are wondering, who is this guy? Who is this guy from up north in Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? This is the guy talking. What's he talking about? And he's once again laying out what we'll see today is an invitation to become one of his sheep, an invitation to join his flock under his care. He says an interesting thing. We'll look more specifically next week at the other I am. I am the good shepherd. But today, I am the gate. And, and this causes us some question. What exactly, though, is a gate? I mean, we know the basic function, and he's even said it. It kind of opens the opportunity for the, 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 uh, the sheep to go out. And then when he closes it, it kind of provides protection. Let's take a look. Here's a couple pictures of what would be similar to a first century type of sheep pen. Obviously pretty broken down in this picture, but notice it's a stack of rocks. It's a stack of rocks on top of stacks of rocks all the way around creating a space. And we know it wasn't done, even though the grass is green there right now, in a current, in a, what would have been a first century sheep pen, that grass would have been all the way mowed to the ground because that's a place where the sheep just come in and lay down. They've eaten that all, all gone. The, the good grass is out somewhere else. Take a look at the next picture. And in this one, you'll notice it's a, it's a little bit more intact. And as you go around the corner, on the far side, you'll note there's an opening. That's not because the wall didn't get finished. That's the gate. Wouldn't have been too smart, right, to build a gate all the way around, and it's a big circle, and now nobody gets in or out. There's got to be an opening. That's the opening on the far side. And so that would have been what, and what a beautiful shot, right? It's right next to a stream. That's like the perfect place to build a sheep pen. So not necessarily made out of lumber, not made out of steel or anything like that, of fencing. This is made out of rocks that were gathered in a big pile to provide this protection. And, and so we notice in this picture, there's an opening. Jesus says, I'm the gate that monitors the opening. That, that's who I am. Am. I'm, he didn't say, I am like, I am the gate. By declaring that he was the gate for the sheep, Jesus is saying that he is to, he's the one who provides protection from the kind of people who would not have the sheep's best interest in mind. Thieves and robbers, or what he called them earlier, who wouldn't be allowed through the gate because the gate keeps people out from those who mean harm. That's what sheep pens were for. Rather than just going, let's just kind of camp out on the hillsides. Oh my word, at night, no, no flashlights, no floodlights. Man, talk about this susceptible animal. Think of the last time you thought of the defense system of a sheep. Okay? D does not have some sort of spiky things that shoot out. 
doesn't have amazing speed. All right? Wolves come in, oh my, that's not good, you know? I mean, there's, there's nothing. These are just meals waiting to happen for those who would come. And here's the funny thing. We can laugh at that. That's what Jesus is saying we are. We don't have great defenses, naturally speaking, against those who would want to do us harm. That's a powerful image. We kind of can joke about the flirt, fluffy, furry creaker, or whatever they are, sheepy creatures, who bop around, who are really easy prey. And Jesus is talking about us being sheep today. It's like, oh, wait a second. That, that's a little bit more scary. Though the psalmist might not have been speaking specifically of a sheep pen, listen to the way he rejoices about going in and being safe in the gates of God. Psalm 118, verse 19, open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the gate of Yahweh, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. So the psalmist is taking such gratitude in the safety and the protection of what the gate affords. I've come into the gate. I know I'm on the other side of it. I know I'm safe. But think about this for a minute. Who's Jesus talking about? Think of that phrase. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. All who've come before me. And that begs the question, Jesus, who came before you? Like, as it is, the Son of God, we know he's a one of a kind, unique. No one has come before him in any capacity to be like him, but there are many who had tried. We'll read throughout the Gospels and in the book of Acts, there were many under the oppression of Rome who saw it as an incredible opportunity to say, I am God's anointed. Let's get a band of warriors and let's go take down Rome. There were political messiahs all over the place in this time. So for sure, that's one thing that he's talking about. But can I share with this with you? What did he say at the very beginning in verse 1? Hey, Pharisees, I'm talking to you. All who've come before me to provide spiritual leadership and direction, those who were doing it not in a way consistent with Yahweh's design, they're actually using and working at the expense of the sheep. They're thieves and robbers. By the way, this would not be the first time that Jesus or that, that scripture would make that connect. The prophets, right? Isaiah and Jeremiah, shepherds. Of, of, of Israel, pay attention about your role, rather than protecting the flock, you're eating it. Okay, so this concept of charging Israel's spiritual leadership as shepherds over sheep, it's all throughout the former covenant. All who came before me, they were imposters, and their intent was wanting harm and to mistreat Jesus' sheep. They're only out to profit for themselves at the expense of the sheep. And Jesus says, but the true sheep, those who are my sheep, they didn't listen to them, right? We said that earlier. Sheep listened to the shepherd's voice. They weren't paying attention to them because they know, right, for lack of a better term, stranger danger. You're not it. By stating that Jesus is the gate for the sheep pen, he's saying basically this. If you want to enter into the security of the sheep pen, you have to do it through him. And when you do, you'll be safe, safe from those who would want to do you harm. 
It's the essence of the word will be saved, right? That's kind of in our kind of church vernacular. That's a pretty loaded term. So-and-so got saved yesterday. We'll use that language a lot. The essence of this Greek word simply means to deliver out of danger and into safety. So whether that means eternally saved or saved from those who would want to do harm, either way, the pen guarded by the gate represents safety. Beyond the basic dangers that the sheep would face out in the wild, the threat of false shepherds. I mean, we just said how incredibly um, susceptible and, and just no defense do the sheep have out in the wild. Now what they have is not only a sense of, of predators who'd want to come and have a tasty snack, there's actually false shepherds who would come upon a flock and say, hey guys, I know you've never met me before. The name's Pete. Come on, let's go this way. So, I mean, there's all kinds of dangers and traps that are being set for these sheep. But Jesus says, if you come into this pen through me, you'll know not only my a relationship with the true shepherd, but you'll know safety and security as well. Now, it kind of begs the question in your notes, how can a simple gate guarantee so much safety? How can that happen? How can just a literally like a gate do that? And the problem is it just makes so much more sense when you understand the gate is not a thing but a person. The gate is not a thing but a person. Take a look at this picture. This is a rendering of a first century sheep pen. Now we've seen the pictures of these pens that had stacks of rocks upon rocks kind of building up these, these walls maybe four or five feet high. And we saw an opening in another pen, a very literal picture, but now we see a rendering. And what we see is that there was this, maybe this wooden arch, but it's still wide open until we understand the shepherd is the gate. The shepherd is the gate. I am the gate. A few verses later, I am the good shepherd. In a sense, one and the same. But he's talking about this role specifically in what the part of the passage we're looking at today is that a protection. I am this source of caring for, of standing in the way between predators, standing in the way between thieves and robbers. I'm the one who's providing that kind of security and safety. That's why you can have confidence in me. Jesus was stating that in him, through him, is found the protection and safety from those who would wish you harm, from those who'd want to profit from your injury as a means to their own ends. In your notes, Jesus didn't come to take advantage of you, but to protect you from those who would. Jesus didn't come to take advantage of you, but to protect you from those who would. Can I tell you, when people think about whatever they think of religion in the 21st century, that often doesn't seem like a true phrase. They think that, quote, the church, whatever that expression may be in their understanding, has only been out to take advantage of them, only exists to put them in a position of loss. Jesus says, I, the leader of my church, the church, I came to actually protect you from people like that. Because I love the sheep. And my goal is to see the sheep thrive. And therefore, I do everything to protect them from those who would come in and want to do something different. Jesus connects this dot 
for this crowd who's listening to the, another part of the role of a, sheep, a shepherd over a sheep. That a shepherd doesn't just provide for their protection, but he provides nourishment as well. Remember we said what the gate does, the gate not only provides protection, but in and out of the gate go the sheep, and when the sheep go out, they go into pasture. They go into a place to be provided food. So it's not just a role that's concerned about what can harm them, but with equal concern about what they need in order to thrive, to be fed. That's what a human gate does. Provides protection as this barrier, this block, but also as a leader who leads them out into grasslands so they can enjoy and grow. It's such a cool visual example in my mind to think about this dual role of safety and supply. This is what the shepherd does. And, and we see Jesus all throughout this gospel. How does he do it? Because he says, I came and I embody both grace and truth. Grace and truth is the essence of who this shepherd is. And for the times when you recognize and when you long for nourishment, the real provision that meets your greatest needs, rather than the unfulfilling scraps, you can try to go find apart from the flock on your own. Jesus is saying, and we're going to see this for three weeks in a row, learn to trust the shepherd. Ephesians talks about this idea of provision and this deep sense of even being overwhelmed by the greatness of God's provision through the way he's loved us. In Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, he says this, and I pray that you, a word we've said already today, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Isn't that an interesting play on words? To know that love is more than what you know. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's move away from the illustration, from the metaphor, and let's talk about now us as God's sheep. I pray that you might know the dimensions of the wild, extravagant love of God. And in knowing that, in knowing that, would you be filled to all the measure of all that God intends for you to be? Would you, would you know and experience his rich love for you? Man, I don't know about you. There's a lot of things I think I need in my life there. That is right at the top. God, to know that I am extravagantly loved by you. And second place is a long ways away. Paul says, as sheep, I pray that you would know the shepherd that way. We've seen in the preceding chapters this antagonism growing, right? We use the word adversaries. It is absolutely true that the Jewish religious leaders were adversarial towards Jesus at this point in his ministry. Here's the wild thing, though, that I think about. What does he say? Hey, it's like pumping gas. I mean, obviously, it's not gas. It's like sheep and shepherds. He's using a very basic metaphor and illustration that they would understand. But here's the wild thing that we miss. I said that all throughout the former covenant, there are all of these allusions, both to good shepherds and bad. Good shepherds are commended. Bad shepherds are judged. 
And it is all through what this group, the Pharisees, that's what they spent their day in and day out studying. Just like today, a lawyer in America would know a certain type of law frontwards and backwards. They knew the law that way. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate. And all those who've come before me are thieves and robbers. They are, quote, bad shepherds. I've come to be an altogether different type of shepherd. And the power of this, of what the Pharisees knew, that maybe the rest of those listening wouldn't have connected the dots, is especially one particular place where God is talking about one shepherd who's going to hand over leadership to a new one. Moses, getting ready for a successor, in Numbers chapter 27, says this. Moses said to the Lord, May Yahweh, the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, may God appoint someone over his community, watch, to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people, watch, will not be like sheep without a shepherd. That kind of shepherd who cares, that kind of shepherd who leads, that kind of shepherd who protects. May God give a new one. Moses saying, I have been that for a long time. Who's next, God? So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua. Take Yeshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. When Moses is saying, God, my time is ending, I need you to appoint a successor who's going to lead the people, a, a good shepherd who will lead them in and bring them out, a good shepherd who will provide protection and who has their best interests in mind. When he's pleading to God for another good shepherd, God says, anoint, I've selected Yeshua. In John chapter 10, who is talking to the Pharisees? Yeshua. We call him Jesus because that's the Greek equivalent, but his Hebrew name, the name that the angel told Mary and Joseph to name him is Yeshua. It's that exciting. Yeshua is standing in front of their face and he's saying, I am the best shepherd that God ever promised. And I'm standing right here in front of you offering for you to understand that I am him. I am. I am the fulfillment of what God promised all the way at the beginning. In that moment, Jewish religious leaders should have fallen on their faces. We have been studying, pouring over the scriptures all of our lives, looking for Messiah. You're telling us you're him. Everything you've done has demonstrated you're him. But still, arm's length rejection. That's how this chapter is going to end. And I say to you today, 
We prayed for you. Prayed for all of you. Prayed for those of you that would be a part of this worship service in here, out in the pavilion, online. Prayed for you that are part of God's flock, that you would be encouraged by the fact that Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the one who protects you from thieves and robbers, from predators. I'm the one who leads you out into good pastures. But we prayed also for those today who are yet to be a part of God's flock, that they would come in contact, they would come face to face with this amazing, not just truth, but amazing promise, amazing hope. And stop stiff-arming God and saying, God, not, not yet. God, not enough proof. God, not enough that I want to give up my way of my life. And that the hands would fall down. And you would simply say, God, I am ready to be one of your sheep. I am ready to join your flock. These religious leaders 2,000 years ago, face to face with Jesus, they missed it. You don't have to. It's staring you in the face. And that is the great news of Jesus being the great shepherd. Finally, today, number three, Jesus invites you into his superabundance. Jesus invites you into his superabundance. There's that word again. It's like, Todd, we don't use that word every day. Well, let me tell you why I used it. John 10, 10, a verse that you should know. It's such a rich verse. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have life to the superabundance. Have life to the full. In this final thought in our passage today, Jesus provides this incredibly stark contrast. Those who've come before me, the thieves and the robbers, they've come to steal kill and destroy. They have come only to harm. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no, oh, but they're not that bad. There's no nuancing. Thieves and robbers, that's their purpose. That's who they are and what they've come to do. Peter says that actually they all come from a source, ultimately, that is a different kind of predator. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's no backstory that makes anything about the devil something that you would have compassion for. He is out to do what Jesus has said today, and he has used human agents to be about his business. This is what they've come to do, steal, kill, destroy. But then Jesus makes this amazing contrast, but I have come, not just even to protect from that, though it includes that as we've seen, I've come to bring life, life to the full. I grew up in the 80s in the way that an 80s preacher would have said it, I've come to bring you life to the max, man. Right, to the max. And in a weird way, this word actually is more than the max. This Greek word in your notes, this Greek word translated to the full, is that of superabundance, meaning beyond what one could expect or contain. It has the derivation to it, an overflowing amount. I've come to bring you life and life in such a way that overflows and watch why. Not only because is it so for you, in terms of how a blessing it is to be a part of the flock of God, but it flows out of you. 
into the lives of those around you when they watch the way I care and protect you. More than you can contain is the love and the care I have for you, the life I came to bring. In a year, in 18 months, when people have felt so depleted, so drained, isn't this incredibly great news? God, I have felt at times I didn't know how I'd put one step, one foot in front of the next. God, I have felt at times unprotected. I have been, I felt unsafe. What's going to happen to me, to my family? God, there have been times when things have been lean. I didn't know how that bill was going to be covered. I didn't know where food for some of us was going to come from. Even in the midst of a very challenging season that has affected all of us, all of us literally everywhere, Jesus says, I've never stopped being that good shepherd. I've never stopped from bringing life and life to the full. You can trust me pre-pandemic. You can trust me in the pandemic. And you can trust me on the other side of it. So if you're here today and you have put your faith and confidence in the gate, in the door, in the good shepherd, simple question are you experiencing, are you knowing what that superabundance is like? I'll tell you, in it, it goes back a lot to what we referenced from Paul in Ephesians 3, that you would know and be overwhelmed with the extravagant dimensions of the love of God. And if you are today, can I tell you, that is an incredible thing to rejoice over. It should be filling your, not just songs of praise, but your conversations and the way you interact with people. God is so good. Maybe you're here today, a part of God's flock, and you would say, Todd, that seems really lacking, though, in my life. Like, I haven't really been experiencing that kind of to the max, to the full. I don't know what to do about that. And simple question, is it something that is deficient in Jesus or something that you have missed? Can I tell you this? It's never about that God has moved farther away from us. So in that loss, in that what feels like separation, can I tell you the very best way to have that sense of an ability to reconnect, to experience God afresh and anew, comes in community. It's always a part of having that happen with other sheep in the flock that encourage, that can listen, that can pray, can I tell you what's going on outside these doors? Hilke mentioned it earlier today. We have a, sur or a, a small groups expo. All different types of groups for all different types of people to get involved and to know and walk in that community together. And, and one of the things I've loved, one of my favorite phrases about Trinity Church is that we're a church built on burden-bearing relationships, burden-bearing fellowships. That's not the only thing that a small group is for, but that is a thing that a small group is for. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're that lone sheep, bah, just kind of out here on your own, man, it is a great time to get plugged into a group and be encouraged and be reminded of who this good shepherd is. Or you might be here today, like I said, and you've never 
taken that step of response. That's what Jesus was after, right? He wasn't talking. I don't want to sit here and have a conversation about sheep and shepherd as you look out in the field. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to understand what I've come to do for you. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that space of saying, Jesus, I need you. I need what you've done for me. There is no hope aside from you. Let me tell you, there is no reason to wait one moment beyond right now to A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. To B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available. He is the good shepherd. And C, choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence, my faith, my trust in what you've done for me. That's how you become, that's the initial response to become a part of the flock of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who are just so grateful for your word, grateful, God, for this uh, understanding of what it is to be sheep in the flock of God, that Jesus is this gate, a gate that provides protection and provision he leads us out. He brings us back. He keeps us safe from thieves and robbers if we would simply keep looking to him to be that source. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the embodiment, the fulfillment of what was forecasted hundreds, thousands of years ahead of you. And as we look back onto your words today, we're encouraged because we want to be these kind of people who follow well after our shepherd who entrust ourselves to your protection, to your provision, to your super abundance. Father, in that this week, when you fill our lives to the full, would you help us to be overflowing into the relationships that are around us that people would see, hear, and know Jesus through our lives. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.